And as we get into this next portion of uh, our study of the Gospel of Mark, we get into a section now where Jesus teaches through parables. And so for the next four weeks, for the month of January, we're going to talk about four different parables, but that really all fall within the same theme, so to speak. So as we look at a parable, we kind of, maybe that's been defined for you before in, in time, what a parable is. You might be thinking of a definition right now, maybe that you learned of what a parable was or is uh, as, as in children's ministry or whatever else. You're probably familiar with this phrase. It's an earthly story with a, come on church, I know you know it. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, right? So you've heard that before, which is okay. That's not a bad definition of a parable. That's, it's, it's right on. But we're going to add to that this morning as we, as we go into a little bit deeper. If you're an English major, you may hear the term similitude. Anybody? One? Okay, let's move on. Okay. Maybe you've heard the term allegory. Okay, you've heard that term. We're familiar more with that. Okay. So that's kind of what a parable is, right? So it's that earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But I want to take it one step further where I read that it's a spiritual truth walking hand in hand with daily living. You follow that? It's a a spiritual truth that walks hand in hand with daily living. So an applicable story. Whether the story is true or not doesn't matter. We find meaning within that and how it pertains to who we are in our relationship with Jesus. So that's what a parable is. They're designed to penetrate our heart. So we're going to talk a lot about our heart this morning not just our mind, because this is going to go deeper than just what we know as far as what parables do. They're designed to penetrate our heart and therefore bring about a response. Parables dictate that there is a response. You're going to respond one way or the other with a parable. You're going to listen or you're not. If you're not going to listen, story is over, you move on with your life. If you're going to listen, then it necessitates what level of listening? Are you listening intently? Are you going deeper into understanding what is being said? So that's why when we look at our, our, our title slide right now, parables, are you listening? It's not just can you hear the words coming out of my mouth. Is are you truly listening? Are you taking in this information? So that's what the question is for this morning and really this month. As we talk about these four different parables over the course of the next four weeks, how intently are you listening? Okay. So in the ESV, as we, as we stick to here, the English Standard Version of our Bible, that's what we read from primarily, the word here is mentioned ten times within chapter four. So ten times in 41 verses, the word here is used. And Jesus emphatically uses the term listen with an exclamation point. You go to any version in scripture, and if that word is there, when Jesus starts this parable this morning, he says, listen, with an exclamation point. So he's either making himself known. Remember, he's speaking to how many people are following him now? I mean, hundreds, maybe thousands, I don't know. We don't have a number specifically. But he has to get their attention. So he's getting their attention here, but he also needs to get their attention here. How many have children? Okay. When you say listen with an exclamation point, it means something, right? It's not just a gentle, hey, I want to talk to you right now. It's pay attention. We got something to go through. We have something to say. 
So we know what a parable is. What's the purpose of the parables then? Pur uh, parables serve two purposes. Number one, they're revealing. A parable is revealing. What is it going to reveal? The things we need to understand. Not just the things that we need to understand, but the things that we seek to understand at a deeper level. Because as followers of Jesus, or as Christians, we've been given the Holy Spirit. And in a sense, it's not our job to determine the interpretation, to determine the definition. We mentioned long ago that the Holy Spirit is the one that teaches. He provides that explanation, provides that definition, provides that interpretation that we need to understand what God is trying to tell us. But it's going to reveal something. That's called spiritual wisdom when we grab on to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, should be up on the screen. It says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So the Holy Spirit is our teacher. We just need to do what? Listen. But not just listen, but listen. Right? Listen intently. Pay attention to what is being said. The other purpose of our parables is it's concealing. So in one sense, a parable is revealing. The Holy Spirit is going to reveal something to you, whatever it is he wants to teach you. But parables are also meant to conceal, to hide the plain truth, so that you are not found guilty of denying plain truth. This is how Jesus is now speaking to the people as he moves on in his ministry. So the concealed spiritual truth has its role, but not without opportunity for response. Does that make sense? So it's going to conceal what? Alfred Plummer said it this way, A parable which the cold-hearted multitudes hear without understanding, they'll remember, because of its penetrating and impressive form, and when their hearts become able to receive its meaning, the meaning will become clear to them. Meanwhile, they are saved from the guilt of rejecting plain truth. If we reject plain truth, truth revealed by God himself, we are in essence rejecting what? God himself. We don't want to be in that position. So a parable conceals the spiritual truth until our hearts are ready to receive the reality of what the Spirit is trying to say to us. So parables are revealing, but they're also concealing. With me so far? All right. So all that said as an introduction for the next, today and the next three weeks after, okay? Because all we're going to be talking about are parables now as we go through Mark chapter 4. So let's get into today's reading. You're in Mark chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 9 together. And then we're actually going to teach, really, and learn from verses 10 through 20. And the reason is Jesus, as our teacher, as our rabbi, provides us the answers. So we don't have to guess. That's the beautiful thing about this parable. But before we get into our reading, I want to jump ahead just a minute. If you go down to verse 11 and verse 12, Jesus says something there that we need to pay attention to before we get into the parable this morning. Jesus quotes Isaiah. And in quoting Isaiah chapter 6, 
for us, verses 9 and 10, Jesus said, he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So he's talking to his disciples, and we'll talk about this later, that once the crowds were dismissed, Jesus and the disciples are by themselves, he's now explaining the reason and understanding of these, this parable that he's talking about. But he says, to you, the secret has been given. Why? And what is that secret? It's Jesus himself. That they are living life with Jesus. They're following Jesus on a daily basis. Therefore, he is going to reveal to them, for them, in very plain English, let's call it, what it is that they need to know. But he says, for those outside, they're told parables. In verse 12, it says that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So there's the concealing aspect and revealing aspect that Jesus is explaining as to why he's speaking in parables. Okay. So let's read this morning. And as we do, if you haven't been with us before, we're going to read this passage of scripture Mark 4, 1 through 9, and then we're just going to take a moment and just sit with it and go ahead and put into practice what we're actually talking about this morning. We're going to be quiet with the Lord, and we're going to hear from Him. And that's why we do that, that sometimes we just need to sit before the Lord and, and listen, open up our ears. And if, ears. and if that's your opportunity to pray and alleviate distraction, alleviate anything or anything you need to give to the Lord, please use that time to do so. If you need to reread it, then take that time to do so. Let's dive into what God is saying this morning, and then we'll break it all down as Jesus gives us the answers in verses 10 through 20. Okay? So Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So let's take a moment and just sit with that this morning. So Father God, as we get into this passage of Scripture now and hear your words, your teaching, your truth, your promises. Lord, I pray that the answers would be so loud and clear to each of our hearts. Maybe not all the same, but exactly what we each individually need to hear this morning from your word. So Father, in Jesus' name, I am praying against distraction. I pray, Jesus, against discouragement, any anxieties, fears, worries, Anything, Lord God, any noise that is going to keep us from hearing you now. We pray, Father God, that you would speak. Spirit, move in this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
So that being said, we'll come back to verses 1 through 9 together. And we're going to kind of connect those verses with the explanation Jesus gives to his disciples later on. So I want to keep reading for just a moment, and we're going to read uh, verses 10 through 13. You can follow along. I, I don't think it's going to be up on your screen. So after he says these things, and it goes on, and it says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked about the parables. Now I'm going to stop there for a moment. This should give you a little bit of an idea that when Jesus is defined as being alone with a minimum of 12 to maybe 15 to 20 other people, that should give you an idea of how many people were following him. Did you catch that? He's alone, yet the 12 plus others are with him still. So there's a lot of people following Jesus if that's how it was defined that he was alone. But it was on to say, and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So we're given a little bit of a glimpse now into what we're going to see over the course of the next four weeks, that the explanation and answers Jesus gives this morning will be able to identify those answers in the other parables that we discuss. So here's what our teacher gives us. He gives us the answers. Don't you love it? Do you love that in school when your teachers just went ahead and give you the, gave you the answers? Even on a test or whatever else? So, all right, let's, let's, let's be nice. Let's, let's go through some answers. And there you, that's when students sit forward and go, oh, we're given the answers. I'll pay attention now. Okay. But that's what he's about to do, and that's the beautiful thing. So we're actually going to connect now verse 4, as we just read, with verses 14 and 15. <coughs> Pardon me. So verse 4 said, And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Now if we jump down to verse 14 and 15, Jesus gives us the answers to what that means. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown to them. So what does he say? What is the seed? It's the word. The word of God. What is the soil? Our hearts. Okay? So the seed is the word of God. The soil is us. It's our hearts and how we respond to what's given. This is why it's so important that we hear when Scripture speaks to our hearts, we pay attention. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, we've mentioned before that when you take things in here mentally, that's where everything starts. We talked about taking your thoughts captive. Because if it's not things of God, then from here it goes down to your heart. And when it gets to your heart, it breeds emotion. And from emotion, it breeds action. So when we say we've got to guard our heart because it's going to determine the course of our life from our heart and the information we've gathered, when it gets here, it determines the decisions that we make. So we've got to be very careful about our heart. But this seed, this word of God that fell along the path, this is an ignorant heart that has no foundation or experience in the word of God. That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at the seed that fell along the pathway or by the wayside was, in a more dangerous way, a hardened heart that doesn't want to give it any 
any bearing, any thought, any process to go from here to here to action. It's a hardened heart that has an immediate negative response to the Word of God. So it falls by the wayside. That's a dangerous position to be in. But the other side of it is the ignorant heart that somebody who grows up, doesn't attend church, has no understanding of the Bible. This allows us to pay attention to those people so that we can speak very plainly and clearly to them. So when we talk to them about the things of God, we don't use all the terminology that is foreign to somebody who's never been in the Word of God. Does that make sense? And more often than not, that's going to be by the action of our life, how we respond, how we're responding to all the things that happen to us. But the devil immediately steals, steals as there was no soil for the seed to take root. That's what his job. That's what he does. John 10.10 10 says, The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. And if we don't want that to happen to us, then we live the second half of John 10.10, 10, which says, and we live in, why Jesus came, which is to give us life and to have it abundantly. So let's move on, verses 16 and 17. We connect this with verse 5 in what we just read. Verse 5 says, Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Jesus gives us the answer to what this means. Verse 16 says, And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. You ever heard a passage of Scripture that just made you feel good? Made you feel encouraged? And that's all you really wanted from it, and so you walk away and you forget what it said? James tells us very clearly, it's like a man who looks at himself in the mirror, and then when he walks away, forgets immediately what he looks like. We can't forget the Word of God. We can't just be encouraged by it and walk away because that was momentary joy, momentary pleasure, momentary happiness, whereas that's not the purpose of God's Word. God's Word is meant to infect us, take over us. That's why Psalm 119 says, Your Word I have hidden in my heart. I've committed it to memory. It's a part of me. I take it with me. So that what? I may not sin against you. But if we just take it in here because it's encouraging and it's a nice saying and we walk away, then if it doesn't get here and settle in, it means nothing. Then it's just words. That's the shallowness, the no depth, no soil, not enough depth for the roots to grow and, and grab onto anything. It's received with pleasure. Many of us maybe in this room have experienced that mountaintop high, been on a retreat before. You've gotten away from society. You've gotten away from your job. You've gotten away on a retreat in the desert or in the mountains, and you just envelop yourself with worship and the Word, and you just have that high, spiritual high feeling. Have you been there before? But then you come back down the mountain, and where did it go? You might have it for a day, maybe two, if it was really powerful, but then you get, what, right back into the routine of life, and all of a sudden, everything else is coming back at you. You know, I think the Lord spoke something to me before that 
I wonder what life would be like if we pine for the mountaintop retreat experience on a daily basis and not, it, not let it just be for retreats. What if we went after that on the regular? How amazing would that be? But this is what Jesus is talking about here. That's on rocky ground. The soil is so hard the root can't grab on. It's received, but it's momentary joy. It's, Jesus said, when tribulation or persecution on account of the word, meaning because it has no depth, you don't know what to do with that trial or tribulation or test or whatever it might be, and so you fall away. You get burnt, and you wither because you don't know what else to do because you didn't take that word in. You didn't commit it to who you are and apply it to your situation. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15 says, so that we, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and dece deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to what? Grow up. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. You guys familiar with palm trees? Pretty regular around here. I know Mr. Brian is. You ever tried to remove a palm tree? It's not fun, is it? If you're going to remove a palm tree because that root system is so intense, it's not just a stick here and a stick here and a stick here. I don't, it's like almost like a web of roots that just goes in every single direction. But have you ever noticed a palm tree fall over in the wind? In a storm, in, a, in hurricane force winds, palm trees won't fall over. They don't break because their root system is so strong, it keeps it. Now, it doesn't mean it won't be blown back and forth, but it doesn't break. Are you hearing me? So where is your root system? What are you attaching yourself to? By standing on your own two feet and your own wisdom, you're saying, I don't need to have roots. I'm good on my own. You're going to break like that. But like a palm tree that digs deep and goes wherever it needs to go to find the water source, that's what we are to do spiritually so that when the waves come, when the wind happens, when we're in those storms, those trials, those tests, those temptations, we might get blown back and forth a little bit, but what? We're not going to break because we're established in the word of God, the water of life. Our root system goes deep. Make sense? So let's move on. Verses 18 and 19. We connect this with verse 7 above. Verse 7 said, Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Verses 18 and 19, Jesus gives us the answer. He says, And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Now, first thing I want to point out, in this scenario, those that are sown among thorns, there's good soil there. There's good depth there. But what didn't happen in order for this seed to bear fruit? 
the land wasn't cultivated. The land, the, the farmer did not get rid of all the stuff that's not supposed to be there to allow what is supposed to be there to take firm root and grow and produce because the weeds and the thorns and everything else just choked out the good because that farmer left the bad and tried to incorporate the good. You hearing me? All right. So the seed that fell among the thorns, there is good soil, there is acceptance to the word of God, but there was no cultivation. Jeremiah 4, 3 in the New Living Translation says, plow up the hard ground of your hearts. I'll say that again, plow up the hard ground of your hearts. Do not waste your good seed among thorns. So here Jesus is speaking the truth of the, the word of God from the Old Testament to the New. Hundreds of years before, God was speaking these words already, preparing his people for this parable, this lesson, that you're too hard-hearted. You think you're good enough to have one foot in this camp and one foot in this camp. I'm going to follow Christ, but I really like to hold on to this stuff too. That is the complete opposite, the antithesis, the, the, the disobedience, the, the muck, the weed, the thorns, the junk that does not fit in with the faithfulness and obedience and grace of who Jesus Christ is and the life he wants to give you. That life abundantly cannot include this. If you think you can coexist together the good and the bad. That's not going to work. Remember talking about Jesus coming to bring a new way of life, this new kingdom, because the old didn't fit into it anymore. But yet the Jewish people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they wanted to maintain the old and add in the new. It doesn't work. House divided against itself cannot stand. It's one or the other. So what do you choose? What do you need to do to get rid of the weeds. You know, there was a time when I was, I was sitting at my, my table, this is a long time ago, a couple, few years ago, maybe four or five years ago, and I was just drinking my coffee, just staring out my, my, to my backyard, and I noticed my backyard looked pretty horrendous, which is normal because I just don't give it attention. My friend Brian is laughing at me right now because he knows exactly what my yard looks like. Mr. Brian was in landscaping, so he keeps me accountable. But I was looking at my yard and going, man, that looks horrible. But God spoke to me in that moment. Because I saw some green grass, but I also saw weeds. I also saw things that weren't supposed to be there. My yard was littered with, we'll call them dog deposits. And it was just nasty. But yet within all of that, I saw the good. There was some green, there was some flowers, there were some things going on. I was like, oh, that looks good. But then your eyes also saw the rest of the stuff. Because I wasn't paying enough attention to take enough care so that the good things, the green, the flowers, could cultivate to grow, to take over. I wasn't doing what I needed to do. Did you hear that? I wasn't doing what I needed to do. So there's action involved. You can't just sit back and hope the good stuff overtakes the bad. We are sinful by nature. We are wretched by nature. 
We have to take action to respond to the word of God and do what's necessary to get rid of what's not supposed to be there and do it on a regular basis. Because how good do you feel after you do some yard work? Things look good. Things look nice. They're clean. They're well kept. You kind of do this as a, maybe as a, as a guy. You kind of, oh, I'm proud. That looks good. And then two weeks later, you haven't touched it. And what happens? It all goes right back in because you haven't maintained what you needed to maintain. Because you think you can maintain joy in the pleasures of the world. The scripture is very clear. Again, let's listen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Did you hear the words I emphasized? You were dead. You once walked. So what is Jesus saying? That's done. That's gone. That is not a part of who you are now. You are a new creation, a new creature, a new man. All the old stuff needs to be put aside. Well, what are some of those old things? First John 2 lets us know what some of those things are, generally speaking, and it's up to you to identify what's in your life that fits into these categories that you need to get rid of. 1 John 2, 15 and 16, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, now here's where you fill in the blanks for you in your life. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, or the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. You fill in the blanks as to what those are, because I can guarantee you, Anything you're struggling with, any sin that is weighing heavy on you, anything you're caught up in, whether you recognize it or not, can probably fit into one of those three categories. But it's up to you to respond and make a decision what you need to get rid of. But don't just get rid of it. Maintain the cleanliness once it's gone. So the question is, why are we allowing the things of this world to grow and take root in our hearts? Why weeds? Why thorns? Why the dog deposits? Do we allow to sit and rest in our heart and our mind and stay a part of our life when we know it's not a part of what God desires for us? Why do we leave them there? It's a question we need to ask. So we need to begin the process of removing these things now, today. I've adapted this from Warren Wiersbe, who said, there are three enemies of a deeper, more fruitful relationship with Jesus. And the three that we just talked about, number one, a hardened heart that has no foundation or acceptance in the things of God, that's the devil's playground. He's just going to come and scoop the word of God away. Number two, it's a shallow heart that only goes as deep as momentary emotion will allow you. And we all can probably attest and agree that human emotion is very, very shallow. And number three, a crowded heart that thinks it can have the best of both worlds. So is your heart hard? Is it shallow? Is it overcrowded? What do you need to do today to make that change? And so to finish out, we connect verse 8 from above with verse 20 below where we need to be. Verse 8 again said, And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. 
And Jesus' answer to this is, but those that were sown on the good soil, in verse 20, are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. The seed that fell into the good soil, it produced. Did you catch any of the key words in there? That it produced? That it grew up? That it increased? That it yielded? Those are all what? Those are all action items. It's what we do. It's our response to the Word of God. What are we going to do with it? How are we going to produce? How are we going to grow up? How are we going to increase? How do we yield more and more and more to the will of God? Are we listening intently to respond and act on what we hear? It is our responsibility. You know, it just hit me this morning as I was doing some more preparation that I felt the Lord say, that's, I think, what a lot of people get caught up in. If you've been a part of the church thing for any amount of time, I think there's this mentality that it's the church's responsibility to take care of you. It's not. You have responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility to take responsibility for what you should be responsible for. There's a little Dr. Seuss rhyme right there. <laughs> but do you get what I'm saying? The church exists to help equip and help bring understanding. Not so that you can come and serve and, and check off your service box and be on your way for the other six days a week. Six days and 20 hours of the week. I'll give you four hours if you serve on a Sunday. Especially here. It's not our responsibility you have to take responsibility for yourself. This is why there's so much power in the words of producing, of growing up, of yielding, humbling yourself before the Lord saying, yes, I need help. Yes, I need understanding. I need to ask more questions. That's why I love what the disciples did when they went away. They were like, I don't get it. I'm confused. God, what does this mean? That right there is taking responsibility that when you don't understand, when you don't know what to do, you seek the answers that you need, one, from the Word of God, and two, if you still don't have any understanding, that's why the church is, exists. That's why you have pastors. That's why you have community. To walk this life together to help you out, not just go, I don't get it, and walk away. Because if we're talking about the teacher-student relationship and all the students I had, those were the ones that walked away, never did homework, never asked questions, and failed every assignment, every test, and they were okay with that. And that was hard to accept as a teacher because you want to provide answers, but all I need you to do is do this. But there's a lot of pride in our life that keeps us from raising our hand because all you're saying by raising your hand is, I don't know and I don't know what to do. That's humbling, isn't it? Especially as adults, when we're saying and admitting, I've got to rely on somebody else for help. That's hard to do. But I'll say it again, that's your responsibility to do. An old pastor, theologian by the name of Charles, I think it's Mole, Mole, doesn't matter. Charlie. 
Charlie said it this way. It says, words may be sound and lively enough, but it is up to each hearer to let them sink in and become fruitful. If he only hears without responding, without doing something about it, and committing himself to their meaning, then the words are in danger of being lost or of never coming to anything. The whole story thus becomes a parable about the learner's responsibility and about the importance of learning with one's whole will and obedience, and not merely with one's own head. It's about your whole will, your whole obedience. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Love the Lord your God with everything. Heart, mind, soul, strength, everything, right? In the book of Hosea, chapter 10, verse 12. It'll be up on your screen in the ESV, but then I'm going to read it again in the New Living Translation. But Hosea 10, 12 in the ESV says, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground. For it is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. And if we apply that to what it says in the New Living Translation, it says, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your heart for now is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. Do you hear the verbs? Plant harvest, plow up, seek. Your responsibility to seek out the Lord, to seek what you need, to do what is necessary to alleviate yourself of the weeds, the thorns, the junk, the stuff that isn't supposed to be there. And as we finish out this morning, just keep this in mind. It's Every Christian's different. Every person in their life is different. I think that's why Jesus said some will produce 30-fold, some will produce 60-fold, some will produce 100-fold. So stop comparing yourself to other people. Teddy Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. So I'll put that in plain English. Stop looking and counting the apples on everybody else's tree. Worry about what you're producing. Worry about the fruit that you're putting out there. I don't care if it's one apple. I don't care if it's a whole harvest full. You worry about what God has gifted you to do because every single person in this room has been given different gifts. But every person in this room has been given gifts. We're gifted differently. So stop comparing yourself to what you do or don't do compared to what somebody else is doing. Use your gifts to produce what God needs you to produce for your life, your family, your community, your surroundings. And let the Holy Spirit do his job, which is harvest. Make sense? All right. So really quickly, what did we see this morning? We, as followers of Jesus, have the ultimate responsibility to respond to what we hear. A few questions. Are you faithfully following Jesus? We see that in the disciples. They were chosen. They continued to faithfully follow him. And when necessary, ask questions. So are you faithfully following Jesus? And if not, what's in the way? Are you listening intently? And if you're not, what are you allowing to distract you? Before my notes, I'll admit to you, I just said, if not, what's distracting you? 
But doesn't that put the responsibility on the thing that's distracting you? So I think God maybe changed that this morning. If you're not listening intently, what are you allowing to distract you? Are you seeking to understand? And if not, why not? And are you responding to the word of God? It is our job to sow, both in ourselves and in others. But don't forget, it's the Holy Spirit's job to harvest. Don't put that pressure on yourself that you have to have some hand in the results. Not your job. Produce. Grow. Yield. Be the good soil so the word goes deep. So what did you hear this morning? You don't have to answer right now. But something to ponder. What did you hear? And what's your response going to be? And we'll have a time of response in just a little bit. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word.